Joshua. And his message to Joshua is to be strong and courageous. So go ahead, if you brought a copy of God's Word, turn to Joshua chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew for you. And uh, there will be notes on the uh, Bible app if you have access to that as well, as there will be points on the screen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for what we've already experienced in worship thus far. And I cannot wait to dive into your word to see the treasures that lay within its depth. Lord, may you be with us this morning. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Friday, we had a chance to say our last goodbye to, quite honestly, the greatest evangelist this world has ever seen since probably Paul. And uh, I don't know about you, were you, a lot of you see that coverage on TV? Anybody watch the funeral? It was amazing to see all of the world leaders and and the impact that he had. But I don't know if we'll ever see another Billy Graham. We could. We may not. But there are some highlights that I took from everything that happened last week. First of all, we know that Billy Graham, he grew up as a dairy farmer near Charlotte, North Carolina. Matter of fact, if you ever go to the library that you've seen on the news this week, right as you walk in the door that big cross is, there is a cow that kind of mimics the first cow that he milked. I think her name is Bessie, maybe. But it's like one of those animatronic things. Those things always creep me out. But anyway, it's pretty cool that uh, you see this this cow. And he came from such humble beginnings. And he has been listed by Gallup as one of the ten most admired men in the world. Not once. Not twice. Fifty times. Five zero. Fifty times. One of the most influential influential men in the world. It was kind of amazing. I was looking through uh, a YouTube feed the other day, and uh, it showed some of the clips of Billy Graham. He was in front of people like Johnny Carson on the Carson Show. I never realized that he was on. There was a show called the Jack Abbott Show, and some so all these other late night shows, and uh, even I think Woody Allen had a show that he was on, and and they always tried to trap him. In some type of, of psychobabble, in some kind of current event, but he always directed them, don't take my words for it, take Jesus' words for it. He never took it personally, he always directed them to Jesus. He has met with every U.S. president from Harry Truman up to Barack Obama, and he has preached to over 215 million people in more than 185 countries. With Reverend Graham's passing, it truly leaves a void. It leaves a void of influence. A void of influence over the church. A void of influence over this world. And uh, it is there's no other evangelical leader that has managed to have the impact that Billy Graham has. And he's managed to stay out of scandals. Or take political sides. Yes, people have pursued him. They used to pursue him to be in the movies. They used to pursue him to be in an office. Or presidents have asked him to serve on different cabinets and different things. And he always said, no, I'm a preacher. And that's all I ever want to be. 
His daughter, Anne Graham Lotz, issued a challenge after her father's passing. And I'd like to read it to you. She says, that's why this nation is in a mess. We have lost our focus. We've lost our message, Lotz said. People go to church, but they're not getting what they're going for. We are so divided. There is so much anger, so much polarization, and Jesus is the answer. She says, I'm praying that daddy's death will be something that would shake the church. She said in one moment, she said that this is a shot across the bow for today's church to wake them up. And she says, you can't leave it up to Billy Graham to share the gospel anymore. You see, that's our privilege. That's our responsibility, she said. And I'm praying that this will be a wake-up call and they will wake up, talking about the church of Christians, that they will wake up and will have that old-timey people would call an awakening just a great revival of people who put their faith in Jesus and go out and share it with others. She is absolutely correct. God has used her father in ways that we cannot comprehend. I can only imagine what heaven was like when he entered in. I can only imagine what heaven is going to be like when we get there and we see him. But his passing has called all of us to stand up and to stand in the gap. And it wasn't just because Billy Graham's death has brought that to our attention, folks. The call has always been. For the church to rise and be of influence. It's not that the culture should shape us. But that we should shape culture. And so in any organization. Any organization. Whether it be a church. Work. Whatever kind of organization you want to uh, think about. When a leader passes. It offers another opportunity. For someone else to stand up. And to establish themselves. As leaders, our world has lost a dear leader. Even in our church here, in the last five years, we have lost dear leaders that were, were, were charting the course for this church. And they are gone. We must be honest with God and honest with ourselves. There is a void. And this is a time today for all of us to bond together, to pull together, and to remember our focus and get to work. A similar situation happened with Joshua. Joshua had basically interned with Moses for 40 years. And then Moses passes right before the Israelites reached their promised land. And Joshua stepped in. Joshua said yes. And check this out. God promised to provide the power. Let's take a look at it this morning. The first thing we see is that God called Joshua to lead his people to a place he prepared for them. To a place that he prepared prepared them. Some of the key words in this verse. God, obviously, he's the subject. Called. That's the verb. That's the action. In Joshua. There was a distinct call to Joshua to lead his people to a place that he prepared for them. The death of Moses is actually recorded one chapter earlier in Deuteronomy. The last chapter of Deuteronomy. Chapter 34. And God here ushers Moses to the top of Mount Nebo to gaze at all 
of the promised land. If you were to want to go to this point to where Mount Nebo was, you would go along the Dead Sea. You would go along in Jordan and somewhere along the Dead Sea and in Jordan. This was the place that that God took Moses up to the top and said, look, all of this is the promised land. You've done it. You've brought them here, but you're not going to lead them in. Moses had led God's chosen people to the edge of the land God had promised them. He was able to see the fruits of his life's work, but he would not be able to lead them in. Moses died at 120 years old, and his body was laid to rest in an unknown location in Moab. So no one really knows where he was buried. And so if you look at Moses' life in the sense that he got to lead the people for 40 years in the wilderness out of Egypt, and then he gets to the promised land and he's not allowed to let them in, some of you would say, well, that's a failure. But no, someone had to lead them to that point. That's just like if whenever we are lucky enough to have God show up and people come to know Jesus Christ, whether it be through the worship and preaching ministry or the one-on-one ministry or the prayer ministry or the visitation ministry, whatever it may be, when someone comes to know Christ, it's not just because of a preacher or of a song or of any one person. It's because even those people that have come before us that have laid the groundwork for us to be here. Moses was not a failure. God took the stuttering, self-conscious man that Moses was and used him to take his people out of slavery to establish God's law, which were the Ten Commandments, and prepare Joshua to lead them the rest of the way to the promised land. And this is what God thought about Moses. In Deuteronomy 34, verse 10, it says, There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. And then all of a sudden, God calls Joshua out of the bullpen. Now, we can go so many directions with this story. But one thing that we see is that a lot of times, Moses is representative of the law. And the law means the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, the purpose of the law is to show us where we are wrong. And so the law can convict us, but the law cannot save us. And so we see in Moses' life, he gave us the law and then Joshua came to lead them to the promised land. Do you know what another translation of Joshua is? Jesus. Moses set up the law, but Joshua is leading them into the promised land. Just as Jesus is going to lead us into our promised land. Let's read verses 1 through 5 of Joshua chapter 1. It says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. Moses had the Red Sea. Joshua has the Jordan River. He says in verse 3, I promise you what I promised Moses. Whenever you set foot and wherever you set foot, you will be on the land that I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. 
No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. Here's the promise. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. And I will not fail or abandon you. We see here that God specifically called Joshua. All of his life experiences, all of his training led him for leading the people in this moment. And also we see that it was God's timing. It was God's timing. Matter of fact, it was about 39 years that it took for the Israelites to wander in the wilderness. And if you ever looked at a map or seen the route that they took, you will notice that over the 40 years, it was a circle. They kept running in circles in the wilderness until finally it came time for them to get to the promised land. The generation that rebelled against God, they had died and moved on. And now these children and grandchildren that had heard the stories about what had happened, they are finally able to inherit what was going to be the promised land that was promised to Abraham. And then it says, God spoke to Joshua. This is huge. God spoke to Joshua. How many times in the Old Testament did we see where God was able to speak to someone and then live to tell about it? He came to Moses, but it was in the form of a burning bush. In the Mount of Transfiguration in the New Testament, He comes to Jesus, but it's just, it's not God Himself. They're seeing basically a reflection of him. They can't look at God straight on because he is so holy and he is so just. He says in verse two, my time has come for you to lead the people. Notice that when God is calling you to do something, folks, you think it's in your timing, but it's in his. It's in his. Yes, we like to be the captain of our own ships. We like to say that we're self-made people. And we do our best to put all of our ducks in a row. But sometimes the timing is just not right. When you want something to happen and it doesn't happen, it's not God's timing. And God speaks today through His Word just as He spoke to Joshua. And God is calling you and I today to lead those you have influence over. And let me just say this this side note, so you don't think that this is just a message for preachers or deacons or Bible study teachers or or someone that has a position to where they have to lead. I love the way John Maxwell puts it. He says, leadership is influence. So if you think this message is not for you, let me ask you this. Is there anybody in your life that you have an influence on? Anybody. Does everybody have somebody that they can influence? I'm just wondering. Children, friends, come on, raise your hand. Come on, we're going to be interacting with you. Oh my goodness, preacher, I'm tired, alright? We're not a hand-raising church, if you know what I mean. Okay, but just for the sake of this, let's all agree that all of us can influence somebody, which means all of us are leaders. All of us our leaders, whether it be in our job, in our family, with our friends, in this church, or wherever it may be. This is not a message for preachers. This is a message for everyone. And we see that Joshua is ready. God called Joshua because he was ready. Matter of fact, if you go back and look, when they first scouted the promised land, Joshua and Caleb, out of 12 spies that came back and said, everything was so beautiful, but the giants were there, and they were too powerful, and we can't overtake them. 
Ten of the spies said that. But not Caleb, but not Joshua. They said, let's go get them. We've got God on our side. Let's go get them. But they didn't. Because they'd rather believe the ten chickens than the two bold warriors for God. He calls Joshua to lead his people. Lead these people across the Jordan River into the land I am giving him. I want to tell you something here. There is a difference between promised and possessing. Promised and possessing. Let me ask you something. Is there any point in the Old Testament where the promised land was not the promised land? Some of you are going, huh? Think about it. Is there any time in the scriptures where the promised land was not the promised land? No. From the moment God promised the land to Abraham, it was, is, and forever will be God's promised land. The problem they had was not with the promise of the land, but the possessing of it. But the taking it. But the getting into it. And there is a difference between promised and possessing. It says in verse 3, I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on the land I've given to you. Possession is the theme of this book. The land that God has promised. And here we go again. They are at the door of the promised land, yet they have yet to possess it. Folks, God's word is filled, filled with promises. God's promise to give you the life that He has created you to live. And if you are not living the promised life, it is because you haven't possessed it. And if it's, you haven't possessed it, it's A, because you are not a Christian, or B, you are too lazy to get it. The possessed The possession is in our effort. God promises us life. God promises us His Word. God promises us how to live and how we can have an effective, fruitful life. But yet we get too consumed with ourselves. How do we possess these promises? It's a word, it's an ugly word that nobody likes to use. The O word. Obedience. Obedience. Joshua was ready to be obedient and to be a leader for God. My question is, are you? It says in verse 5 that he prepared for them a, a work. When God prepares something for you, we also see that he invites us to join him. And here's the thing, folks. If God is leading you to step up your spiritual game, If God is leading you to be a closer walker with Him. If God is leading you maybe to do something for Him. To be more vocal in your faith. To step up and do something either in the church or or with a group or whatever it may be. Check this out. Because of this passage, we see that God always protects what He prepares and He provides for what He promises. God always protects what He prepares and provides what He promises. Tristan, thank you. If God is calling you to something, understand 
He is with you in it. It may be scary. It may not make sense, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you what. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you're weighing two options and you pray about it and you know the one that doesn't make sense is always the one that God wants you to do? Because that takes faith. That takes dependence. The second thing we see is that influence requires strength, courage, and determination. In verses 6 through 9, what does it say? He says what? Be strong and courageous. They go hand in hand. Be strong and courageous, for you are the ones who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to the ancestors I would give them. Folks, what if it read here, be strong and courageous, Holman Park Baptist Church, because you are the church that I have called to make a difference in Holman Park community. Woo! Am I meddling now? If not, if we're not here to make a part in this community, why are we here? It's going to be scary. We're going to have to put our faith on the line. But he says, be strong and courageous. Yes, there are crime. There's crime in this community. There's crime in every community. There's drug houses in every community. There are people that are hostile to the gospel all everywhere. But greater is he than he that is in the world. Be strong and courageous. Don't hide behind pews, but stand in the gap. Be strong and courageous, for you are the ones who will lead these people to possess the land I swore to their ancestors you would give them. What's going to happen if we don't do that? Number one, we'll keep wandering in the wilderness. Or number two, God's going to call somebody else. And I don't know about you, but I don't want the lampstand of this church to be taken down. I do not want Ichabod written on our door that says God does not live here. Be strong and courageous. Look, you can get in your circles and you can get in your groups and you can get everywhere you want to do and complain how bad it is in every community you live in. Who's going to change it? Is it up to the police? Is it up to the politicians? Why are the churches being silent? Verse 7 says, be strong and very courageous. He says that again. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. And then here we go. Verse 8, study this book of instruction continually. Well, he didn't have the Bible But he did have the first five books that Moses wrote. That was what he was talking about. Read these writings of Moses. And then it says in the next line, it says, Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you exceed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous appears at least 14 times in the scriptures. And here's the thing. Leaders 
must lead. Leaders must lead. Leading and influencing others, even if it's God-ordained, can be scary. Because when God leads, it's like headlights. Headlights where you're going down the road and how far do headlights let you see? Even if you're on high beams, maybe a couple hundred feet, it gives you enough light to see the next turn. But the rest of it, you don't know. You have to take it on faith. God will give us enough light to take our next step. But he doesn't lay it all out because he wants us to be dependent upon him. Be strong and courageous. Joshua had to lead over two million people into the promised land. Any God-sized task is frightening. But with God, it can be a life-changing experience. Because check this out. Following God's lead is our initiative coupled with God's promise. Following God's lead is our initiative coupled with God's promise. God has promised us that one day Jesus Christ is going to return. The sky is going to be split and the dead in Christ will rise and we'll meet them in the air and our bodies will be transformed and we'll be with Jesus and God and all those who are believers forever. That is what we wait on. That is our promise. But while we are doing that, we have to obey Him and do the Great Commission. Of going into all the world and making disciples and baptizing those in the name of Jesus Christ. Because one day, that last Christian or that last person is going to be given the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ or deny Him and then it's over. God has promised a life to you even today. Not a road full of roses, but a road nonetheless. And I'll tell you what, I would rather have a road that is bumpy with Jesus holding my hand than having a smooth asphalt road with no Jesus. As I said before, I think even last week, uh, some of the toughest, toughest times in my life, as hard as they have been, have been beautiful in retrospect because that is the closest I have been with Jesus in a long time. Following God's lead is our initiative coupled with God's promise. Godly influence requires us to follow God's instructions. If you look back in your scriptures, you're going to see verse 6 says, be strong and courageous. Yet verse 8 says, study the book of instruction continually and to meditate on it. And he says, do not deviate. Folks, our world has strayed from biblical principles so far. How is it working for us? How is it working for us? Millions of babies are being killed before they have a chance to live. Millions of lives are getting destroyed because they think they have a better way to use their bodies toward sexuality and loving one another. Christians think it's okay to sit in their ivory towers and study the scriptures while the world around them burns and goes to hell. How is it working for us? Deviating from the left or to the right. That person that was raised in the church and they get old enough to understand their faith and they walk away from it. How is it working for that person? 
Folks, I have based my life on the Bible and Jesus Christ. And although I'm a pastor, I am not perfect. But I've learned this, and you'll probably agree with me. When I do what the book says, it works. And when I don't, it doesn't. And it ends badly. What causes us to drift in our spiritual walk? I found this article, and I thought it was was really enlightening by Chris Russell. He's a pastor at Veritas Church. What causes us to drift? Number one, out of control schedule. If Satan cannot get you through immorality, he will make you so busy that you have no time for your family and especially no time for him. Another way we drift is we put our affections on something else, on someone else. What did God say? You should have no other gods before me. He's saying that we get idols in our lives. Sometimes in our discouragement, we turn away from the Lord. Sometimes when we have all that we needed, everything is going great, we feel like we don't need it. And then sometimes there are those parasitic sins. You know those sins that control you and it seems like they will not let you go. Just remember, my friend, He is a chain breaker. And we see that God is with them, with Joshua, continually. He gives clarity. He gives authenticity to Joshua. And he says on it, meditate on it day and night. What's the difference? Let me ask you this. What's the difference between meditating on God's Word and reading God's Word? Reading God's Word is just like I've done for you here. I have read to you what the Scriptures say. Well, what does meditate God's Word mean? I don't know about you, but every now and then I'll get a headache. Anybody ever had a headache? Come on, let's raise hands one more time. We are hand-raising church. Some of you have not got headaches. Some of you are lying. And some are just lazy. don't want to raise your hands. That's all right. Churches are filled with lying, lazy people. The altar will be open at the end. All joking aside, I don't think uh, eternity is going to be built on whether you had a headache or not. But my point of, uh, is this. The difference between reading and meditating is this. If you've ever had a headache and you've taken an aspirin, you take that aspirin, once you pop that pill, you're not getting it back. That pill goes into you and then... I still don't understand how an aspirin knows where to go. It's like the smartest pill in the world. But uh, actually, I kind of know how it works. But my point being is that 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 aspirin goes into your body and it just absorbs your whole body. And it goes to the places that you need relief. And it works. Folks, that is what meditating on God's Word is. Not just reading it, but focusing on it, internalizing it. That means things like remembering scriptures to use when you don't have a Bible in front of you. I've asked you people before and I'll ask you again. Try to find for yourself a life verse. And it could change as your life changes, but that one verse when everything goes crazy... That you have that one verse. I've told y'all before, I'll tell you again, my life verse, and it's been like this for the past 20 years, is Exodus 14, 14. I, the Lord, will fight for you. You need only to be still. That gives me a lot of comfort when I look at the context of that verse. So as crazy as my life gets, 
I can pop that in my, my brain. Do you have a life verse? I encourage you, if you don't, get one. And in verse 9, it says, always remember these things. Number one, God's commands bring his protection and provision. If God has called you to follow him, if God has called you to be a witness to your friends that are not so spiritual, if God has called you to do something in a church or in your job or in the community, if God has called you to do something, He will protect you and provide for you. Number two, when He does call you to do something, be strong and courageous. Also, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you. These are not words that I am saying. This is straight out of the Bible. Verse 9. And then the third thing we see is that godly leadership is contagious. Paragraph, I mean, verses 10 through 15, they talk about Joshua. He hits the ground running. and He gets the forces together and he reminds them of Moses' influence. And he says, okay, we're going to take this promised land. And he talks about a deal he had with some of them that wanted to go ahead and settle on the outside of the promised land that Moses struck up with them. So... He's getting ready to move. And then we pick it up in verse 16 where it says, They answered Joshua, We will do whatever you command us, and we will go wherever you send us. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses, and may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your orders and does not obey your words, and everything you command will be put to death, so be strong and Courageous. Leaders who are led by God will lead others. I know we've got several members here that are in uh, the, the firefighting profession. And I know that, the, that many of you know people that are policemen and, and army and stuff like that. There is one thing that will wreck any type of rescue response or any type of organization. It's called freelancing. Freelancing. What is freelancing? It's just what it says. You get a group of people together, you have an objective, and everybody goes on their own way trying to do what they figure they can do to fix it. What happens when when freelancing goes on? People get hurt. Houses burn down. Firefighters themselves get hurt. Police officers get shot. Organizations go belly up. Churches split because everybody has lost sight of the value and the purpose and they are freelancing. So understand that if you are a leader, you must be led by God. And if you are not a leader, you got to follow. You ever heard of the term? I'm not going into that group. They got too many chiefs and no Indians. There's like everybody wants to be the boss. What do you call something that has two heads? A freak or a monster. The greatest leaders will be led by God. And those that are under that leader will notice that. Now, understand, I am not saying this to build myself up. That's not the purpose of this message. I'm not saying that you need to fall in line and and follow my leadership. I'm getting ready to take you on a wild ride. That's not what I'm saying. 
But what I am saying is every one of you in here have influence over someone. And Billy Graham has passed away and the mantle is set for someone else to stand in the gap. Someone else is not going to do it for us. Look, our church needs men to step up. Every church needs men to step up. If you were to go to any church that's meeting right now, a majority of the people doing the work will be the women. And I'm not saying that in in an egotistical thing. I praise God for the women that are doing that. But we need men to step up. Our world needs men to step up. We need men to show the world what it means to be godly. And to treasure and value lives, not only of women and children, but to follow God. We need folks, men and women, to value the gospel and influence those that are around us. So if you want to have influence, and if you want to lead others, first be led by God. So as we mourn the loss of our leaders like Reverend Billy Graham, we can be confident that God will raise up. Another until the day he returns. Not everyone here will be leaders. However, everyone will have influence over somebody. The world needs leaders. Your family needs leaders. I talk to couples a good bit. And a lot of times the men have no clue of this fact. You realize men... You are the point person for your family. That at the end of the day, when the judgment comes, you're going to be held responsible for your family. You are the point man. And so many men, they don't take that mantle. I'm getting ready to go on a side note, and I'll just stop there for now. But as I've married countless of people, trying to get instilled in their head that there has to be a leader and someone to follow. That's how it works. And that God is looking for men and women to step up. Have faith and remember the leaders who are led by God will lead others. Let me ask you something. What is your promised land? Men, what is your hope for your family? What is your hope for your children? Women, what is your hope for your husband or your family or, you know, brothers and sisters or those that you have influence over? What is your hope for your job? What is your hope for this church? What is this promised land that you feel like God is calling you to do? My next question would be, what in obedience are you doing to make that happen? Because if God has given you a vision for your family and God has given you a vision for your church, And God has given you a vision for your surroundings. Understand that he is with you. He will protect you. And he will provide for you. All you need to do is be obedient. Jesus has promised he is returning. So let's take him at his word. It's time for us as leaders to rise. So be strong and courageous. In your influence. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this message this morning.
And it is my prayer that if there is someone here today, first and foremost, that doesn't know you as your Savior, their Savior and Lord, that dear Heavenly Father, they would understand that they are a sinner in need of saving. But they are no longer needed to be in bondage by the chains of sin. The Lord, you can set them free. That is why you came to die on the cross for their sins. Maybe there's someone in here that does feel the call to be a leader in their family, in the church, in the community, or wherever it may be. And they just, they, they want to make that known. They want prayer. They want support. And they come to the altar and pray, or they can speak with me, or, or talk with somebody about that. Or maybe someone wants to join this church or be baptized, Lord. They can lead in that way of saying, I want to be a part of what you're doing. God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that Joshua has showed us what it looks like to take up and step up when a leader dies. I pray that our world will do the same. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?